the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So in other words, what I do, nothing I do, good, bad, or indifferent, is going to determine whether or not I go to heaven or whether or not I go to hell. But just because I may have the liberty to do something doesn't mean it's a wise decision to do it. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I want to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the little book in the New Testament, 1 Peter. 1 Peter will be in chapter 2 in just a moment. We are on a journey called Great Expectations. And I love that phrase because I believe the Christian life is more a journey and less about a destination. And that may be a shock to some of you because we like to think about the destination. We like to focus on the hope of heaven and this world is not my home and That is certainly true for every Christ follower, but God's word has a lot to say about the journey, the ups and the downs, the mountains, the valleys, the the highs, the lows, the great times and, and the difficulties of life. And throughout it all, we see that God is faithful and he desires that as a result that, that we be found faithful. That really is a prayer for those of us who follow Jesus. May those who come behind us find us faithful. And that really is what the book of 1 Peter is all about. In fact, really the theme verse, I believe, could be 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to the Word of God. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and so now we live with great expectation. The principle is this, that because we've been born into the family of God, because there's been that moment in time that assured the destination, that promised us the hope of heaven, because of that, we should live differently. We should live with great expectation. I want to ask you a question today. What are you expecting God to do that only he could do? What is it in your little circle of the world that you're saying, God, I need you. I want you. I I desire that you do this. But God, this is only going to happen if it comes from you. There are three continual themes that you find in every chapter of 1 Peter. One is the theme of hope. And you you heard that in the verse we read. We're born again into a living hope. It's a reminder that Christ's followers should be the most positive, the most optimistic people in all of the culture. Because we have this, this confident assurance that no matter what we face, there is hope. 
Ironically, the second theme found in every chapter is the theme of suffering. So isn't it interesting that he talks about hope and then he talks about suffering. And last week I reminded you, every one of us is in one of three categories. You're either in the middle of one of life's storms, you've just come out of one of life's storms, or you may not realize it, but you're walking dead right into one of life's storms. That's the journey. That's the way it works. And in the midst of that suffering time, the testing time, the trying time, God's word says, says we have hope. And so the third theme that we find in every chapter is in light of this, think about how you live, have a clear mind, have a sober mind, act the way that you're supposed to act as one who's identified with Christ. Well, how do you do that? I mean, is it okay just to ask a question? Sometimes I just want to cry out to God like David. Yeah, I get it. I know what I'm supposed to do, but how? And so Peter tells us we do that because we're, we're relying on uh, the, the confidence we have in a sovereign God, that God is in control, and we're resting in the assurance we have in salvation through Jesus Christ. So God's in control, and through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Jesus Christ has already saved me from the one thing that could have taken away my hope. He saved me from death and the penalty of hell. And, and that's described... Beginning in verse 5 in chapter 1. Through your faith, God, that's God the Father, is protecting you by his power. You have to decide, do I trust the sovereign hand of God? You have to make a decision. Am I confident that the power of God is more powerful than anything else that could or will touch my life? That really is at the crux of the question, isn't it? That's something every one of us have to have to wrestle through. Do I really believe, God, you're bigger? Or, or is it it's described in the Old Testament? God, you're more than enough for me. And then in verse 8, he goes on to talk about Jesus. He says, you love him, that's Jesus, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the reward for your trusting him is the salvation of your soul. So I'm resting in God's power that is his sovereignty. And then I'm relying on the trust I have in Jesus Christ. That hope is what gives me salvation. That's why we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, nothing else in my life, but I wholly lean on Jesus name or the second verse. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale, the storms, my anchor holds within the veil or the third verse. This is why his oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, then he is all my hope and stay. So in Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Why? Because everything else is sinking sand. And if you've lived long enough, You've recognized that when you put your trust in the stock market, when you put your trust in the political system, when you put your trust in other people, you will be let down because it's sinking sand. You see, what Peter is saying is hold on to this reality. No matter what, remember, God saw this coming and he'll see you through it. And and for some of you today, that's the simple truth you just need to grasp. This difficulty you're facing, it didn't catch God off guard. He's not surprised. 
I can't turn on the TV now without one of the news channels. They just constantly scroll at the bottom. Breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Well, God never has breaking news about you. He, he never hears something that he was not expecting. He's got this. So then we ask the question that has been the Christian question of the ages. In light of that truth, how then shall we live? And that's part of why we gather every week. And, and that's what your neighbors, um, that's what your family members who don't know Christ, that's what your coworkers and your classmates, that, that's what they're asking. Okay, all right, I, I've heard your message. What difference is it making? How, how shall we live? So Peter, Peter then, throughout this writing, he, he tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, hold on to the hope in the midst of the suffering and live this way. He's saying the hope of God should lead us to a life of holiness in this world. We are to be different. We are to be called out. So it's kind of a balance. I expect great things from God and that's important because Ephesians 3.20 says, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything. I can even ask, drink or uh, ask, think or imagine how because of the power that's already at work within me. When I have a relationship with Christ, that means the power of the gospel is available to me. What is that? It's the same power that conquered the grave. And so as a result, I, I begin to say, okay, God, I'm going to expect you to do great things. I have to tell you, in the faith tradition in which I was raised, which is a conservative, Protestant, Christian faith tradition, I'm, we don't live as if we have a lot of confidence in the Lord. I think we're so scared of being disappointed that we're not in the habit of asking God for the big things. And so he says, expect great things from God, but don't let that be the end. Also, attempt, attempt great things for God. Live your life in such a way that you're doing everything you can. I, I'm reading through the Bible. Whew, that's a big chore. It, it's a lot because I'm doing it in these 40 days. And I'm, I'm reading about all these Old Testament characters who just God used in a, in a mighty way. I mean, they, they built, they, they taped things like the bone of an ox or the, the jawbone of a donkey. And, and they just win battles with the strangest thing. There's a guy named Shamgar. There's only about two sentences about him in the Bible, but what did Shamgar do? Well, it was Shamgar started where he was. He, he, he took what he had and he did all that he could with it. And, um, that's kind of what God wants you to do. He wants you to recognize it. He's given you access to great power, but he wants you to attempt everything you can that would be for your good and for his glory. But we don't just do that to go through the motions. Yes, we trust and obey for there's no other way, but it's not just to check off boxes. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. 
Again, I was kind of raised with that. Anybody else? When I was raised, I had to take my envelope to church. And my envelope, it had a list of boxes I could check off. And I would feel guilty if I couldn't check off the boxes. And that's what legalism does, by the way. It kind of, it, it, it feeds the guilt in you because you're thinking, I've, I've got to do this if I'm going to live up. And so the box would be like, I'm going to church today. I'm going to Sunday school today. And, and by the way, did you notice that Sunday school is the only school that apparently you never graduate from. I've never figured that. But so uh, I'm going to church today. I'm going to Sunday school today. I read my Bible every day. Um, I, I'm giving in the offering. It seems like there was one more. But, but it creates this mentality that I'm just checking off the boxes. And you know what? If you're raised that way as a child, what that creates in adulthood. It, it creates a mentality where if I check off the boxes, then I'm Okay. It doesn't really matter what's really going on just as long as I'm checking off the boxes. So that's not what we're talking about. We, but we are talking about a, a difference, a holy difference that makes an eternal impact. And so 1 Peter chapter 1 ends by saying this, for you have been born again. So just understand this, this is not speaking yet to all of you. Probably most of you, most of you would profess to be followers of Christ. So whether or not you've used that phrase, you would profess to be born again. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said, uh, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. So that means there's a point in your life where just like you have a physical birthday, you have a spiritual birthday where it all gets started. Nope. None of us are always Christians. You weren't born a Christian. You just weren't. You might've been born into a family with a Christian heritage, but you were not born a Christian. You're only becoming a Christian when you have a moment in time where you do these things. You look at your sin and you see how that separates you from God. You recognize that because of that sin, uh, you needed help and that Jesus died on the cross to give you that help and he rose from the grave to show you he has the power to do so. And so you've trusted the only one that can help you and that's Jesus. And so when you do that, when you consciously, the Bible calls it a change of mind. That's what that word repentance means. A a willful change of mind. When you've done that, the Bible calls it being born again. So to those of you who's been born again, here's what he says. You've been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. What? Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So the reason we want to make a difference is because we're no longer living just for right now. If you believe you're living for right now, you might as well buy onto the philosophy that says eat, drink and be happy because then you die. And that's the end. If you really believe this life is all there is, man, I hope this encourages you being here, but I don't even know why you would do this. I mean, go do whatever you want to do. If you believe this is all, but if you believe this goes on forever, if you believe I'm going to live forever somewhere, then I want to make a difference. And so he says, as the scripture says, people are like grass or beauty, like a forever, a flower in the field, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so then he says, and remember, when you're looking at the Bible, these chapter divisions, these verses divisions that we have in our translations, they, Peter didn't put these in here. They weren't there. So he's continuing a statement. So we ended chapter one and in chapter two, he says, so rid yourself of all evil behavior. So in light of being born again, in light of this life that you have in Christ, in light of the fact that this is about forever, there's some things you you need to get rid of in your life. What are they? Be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, 
and all unkind speech. Sometimes you hear me say this phrase, a Christ follower never has the liberty to do what? To be unkind. Why don't we have the liberty to be unkind? Because God's word says to get rid of unkind speech. By the way, it also tells us to be kind. Ephesians 4.32, if you need a reference. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he's saying, get rid of all these things. And then look at verse two, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now you will have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Oh, 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 what? You, You mean it's possible for me to not have the full experience of salvation? Yeah, it is. According to scripture, You see, you've got to understand that the scripture describes three types of salvation. First, I I am saved. That's once and for all. I'm saved from the penalty of my sin. That's what happens when you pray that prayer and begin that relationship with Christ and you're born again. But then you start being saved. You're being transformed in the image of God. You're starting to, uh, to, to let go of the practice of sin in your life. And you look more and more like Jesus. But one day, one day we will be saved. We'll no longer sin at all because we have been made into the image of Christ in heaven. So the truth is, it's possible that you've been saved. You've got your fire insurance. You you know where your destination is. You're, You're going to heaven. But you're not experiencing the fullness of salvation. And so Peter is saying, hey, I want you to get it all. How do we know that? Notice what it says. When you've experienced the grace and the goodness of knowing Jesus, God has great expectations of you. When you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, man, it should make a difference in your life. So a couple weeks ago, I went out with my friends, Russ and Cindy, Kimberly and I did, and they introduced us to a new restaurant. It's called Averoni's. Have any of y'all ever been there in Tampa? Man, it's an Italian steakhouse. And it was, it was good. Fettuccine Alfredo. T-bone steak. Tiramisu. Can I get a witness? I, it, I tasted and saw that it was good. And so you know what I did? This week, the whole pack's in town. The Purvis Pack, our son's home from college, and it was spring break, and we had a little extra time. So what, I wanted to introduce those that I love the most to that which I had tasted and, and, and saw that it was good. And, and that's what he's saying, right? If you've been born into the family, you've tasted and seen that this is good. Don't keep it to yourself, Live it out. Show it off. Let others see this in your life. So I would just ask you, have you tasted of the Lord's kindness? Have you been born again to a living hope? And if so, what difference is it making in your life? See, when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, the only natural and healthy response is to want more of him. But you know, sometimes we get sick. Earlier this week, I, I had a, a sinus infection. Man, I don't, I don't want to be inappropriate this close to lunchtime, but you know, you just lose your appetite. 
One to nothing tastes good. I, I'm a coffee-aholic. But when I'm not right up in here, down in my chest, I don't even want a cup of coffee in the morning. It just doesn't taste right. My, my taste buds are impacted. So some of you, you've got the relationship with Christ. You've stepped across the faith line. You've been born again to a living hope, but you're not experiencing the fullness of salvation. And your tastes have become dulled to the things of God. And rather than growing in your faith in a healthy way, listen, you become content with malnutrition. And so what Peter is saying, don't do that. He, he's, he's saying, like a newborn baby craves milk. And he he's, tells us the kind of milk. He says the pure milk. So it's the right kind and, and, the, and the reasonable. It makes sense. It's the same. The only other time in the, in the New Testament we find this Greek word that's translated here uh, before we have that word milk in, in 1 Peter 2 is in Romans chapter 12. Where the Apostle Paul says, I urge you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to the Lord for this is your, then he uses the word, reasonable act of worship. What is he saying? It's what makes sense. So, so Peter then takes that and he says, so when you've tasted and seen the Lord is good, it only makes sense. It only makes sense that you would crave. And then he says that you would cry out for the nutrition that only comes from God. And, and so how do I do that? Well, I determine to grow through whatever I go through. And, and that's the overarching theme I just want you to, to take today. Determine to grow through what you go through. De- determine to allow life to be a, a heavenly classroom where God is teaching you through the ups and the downs, the hills and the valleys, the good and the bad of life. Now, why is it so important that we grow? Why is it so important that I experience the fullness of salvation? Occasionally somebody will say to me, Brother Paul, I'd just be happy to have a, a, a half acre on the back 40 of heaven. If I just barely make it in, that's all that matters to me. It really is not. Why is it important that we grow? William Barclay, the great commentator, says this. Every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. By his life, he either commends it to others or he makes them think less of it. So really what Peter's getting at is what kind of advertisement are you? When when people look at your life, are they drawn to Christ are they disinterested? Or God forbid, are they repelled? Sometimes that's the case, isn't it? You might have heard someone say, hey, if that's what being a Christian is all about, not interested. One of the great non-Christian philosophers of, of the world, of history, said, I like what I hear of Christ. It's what I see of Christians that I don't like. So, so Peter's saying we can't be okay with that. And so there are just three things I want to walk you through that are underneath this overarching theme of determined to grow through what you go through. The first thing is this. Spiritual growth is often demonstrated by what you choose not to do. What you choose not to do. Peter said, in light of the truth of eternity, rid yourself of these things. Why? Because we're called out. We're holy. We're different. We are supposed to be different. It's a misrepresentation to make Christianity all about what we don't do. Did you hear that? It's a misrepresentation to make Christianity all about what we don't do. Though that's how some people think of us as Christians. 
And I have to confess, that's one reason we don't overemphasize our heritage as Baptists here, because that name Baptist kind of even speaks of that more in people's mind. They just think of Baptists as those who are against everything. That's not the fullness of the Christian faith. However, the, the Christian faith does tell us there are some things we should not do. You've heard this from the Apostle Paul, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So in other words, what I do, nothing I do, good, bad, or indifferent, is going to determine whether or not I go to heaven or whether or not I go to hell. But just because I may have the liberty to do something doesn't mean it's a wise decision to do it. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to MissionHillChurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at MissionHillChurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.